Have you heard about the 2018 study that showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? No? Well, now you have. I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual, the company making traceability the new standard in the supplement industry. I remember staring at my prenatal vitamins and finding all these things I was trying to avoid. High amounts of heavy metals, synthetic colorants, and unnecessary ingredients. So, at four months pregnant, I quit my job and started Ritual, because I believe that all women deserve to know what they're putting in their bodies and why. I'm so proud of our prenatal vitamin. The ingredients are 100% traceable, it's third-party tested for microbes and heavy metals, and recently received the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. You see, we trace like a mother because, let's be honest, no one cares quite like a mother. But don't just take my word for it. Trace for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com slash prenatal. And then the true loyalty is here is built on a sequence of mutually beneficial transactions. The more transactions you have, the more interactions you have, the more opportunities either to become more loyal or less, right? So rather than being very transactional, they end up being uh, something that happens over a period of time and is often tested. And that then results in this thing called brand equity. Welcome to the Delighted Customers Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Slayton, and I'm so glad you're here. I empower leaders to turn indifferent customers into loyal fans. I talk to guests with a wide range of expertise who share meaningful insights and wisdom. We give you practical tips and proven frameworks and share ways to help you delight your customers. Well, I am so excited to have my guest on the Delighted Customers podcast show, Valerie Peck. Valerie is the founder of Sweet CX, one of the most respected and fantastic journey. It's way more than a journey mapping software application. It really helps organizations connect the dots when it comes to understanding journey mapping and journey mapping orchestration. Valerie, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. <laughs> it's great to have you. One of our industry luminaries who's been around for a long time, way smarter than me. I'm so honored to have you not, on the show. Not. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what you built is something that I sure wish I had uh, when, when I was doing journey mapping the manual way. Yeah, don't don't we all? <laughs> <laughs> well, my closet is full of butcher paper and sticky notes. <laughs> there you go. You know, schlepping the roll and the all the sticky notes and the markers and the pens and all that stuff. <laughs> but today, yeah, today we're gonna we're gonna jump right into a topic that I, we have in all the episodes I've done. I've not jumped into, and uh, it's it's something that is part of the course that I'm teaching at Michigan State University, uh, customer relationship management. And one of the aspects of it, which has really become controversial lately on many levels from a company and from a customer standpoint, is this idea of loyalty programs, right? Absolutely. And defining loyalty and what is going on in, in the world is also fascinating because it has ramifications across not only the the business side, but also uh, in so many other political ways today. Exactly. So, um, I, you know, I'm going to um, 
this is one of those uh, podcasts where I'm going to share some visual. The podcasts will be available uh, on video, but you'll be able to follow us along just fine on audio if you choose to. I just put together a slide here based on one of the rankings, and we can talk about what this kind of all, all means or it doesn't mean when it comes to ranking loyalty programs, right? But there's Frontier Airlines is on there, Target, BJ's, uh, Alamo, Buffalo Wild Wings, Amazon, all for their different respective categories. And you may or disagree. And that was just one set of criteria. This particular study was the Newsweek 90. It was done by Statistica. It had 4,000 customers. And um, uh, I'm pretty sure it was all B to C. But they they judged it on, you know, did you find the loyalty program worthwhile? And then what I would call an SAT uh, satisfaction score and then NPS likely to recommend. So that was this particular one, but say more about the dimensions of loyalty programs from these different perspectives. Like what does it mean? Sure. So literally for every loyalty program, there's a different definition. Uh, they probably have a very similar desired outcome, which is repurchase. But loyalty is far more of an emotional thing than it is an action and if you look at some of these logos here, I'll pick out Expedia. Somebody who becomes loyal to Expedia may actually be disintermediating the actual person or company that they want to have loyal, say a Marriott. Because if you book on Expedia, Marriott won't give you points. So now I'm having to choose between the two, which is a really interesting thing that people don't think a lot about. Right, airlines. There's been tons of uh, front headlines in, especially for business travelers around Delta of late. And to its credit, they stepped into it a little bit on their loyalty program, and then they backed off of it because they realized that their customers weren't happy with it. So each of these different programs, again, has the objective of trying to make you stickier or to buy more. And sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Okay, so you so that's a great point, and and boy, it, it not only sometimes doesn't work; it ends up in, in headlines in newspapers. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, and well, people, people, we we are feeling creatures who can think, mm. and loyalty plucks some of those strings, right? So loyalty is more of a process and a program as compared to a specific thing again trying to pluck the strings of having someone i see i'm sure you see bumper stickers and comments and social media because loyalty really does uh uh create a a opinion which sometimes is not necessarily the one you expected so you know it really does result in giving you a lot of information i think probably net promoter score would apply to the very first one there understanding transactions your customer demographics or firmer graphics all of that information gets pulled in when you do uh, a net promoter score program right uh which is again tied to loyalty uh there's a lot of different groups that act differently within your own company. So those would be segments. Some people are digitally forward, some people are not. So how are you going to actually get them to come into a loyalty program and act? And then the true loyalty is here is built on a sequence of mutually beneficial transactions. The more transactions you have, 
The more interactions you have, the more opportunities either to become more loyal or less, right? So rather than being very transactional, they end up being uh, something that happens over a period of time and is often tested. And that then results in this thing called brand equity. And brand equity often ties to shareholder value, to uh long-term value and revenue from a, a particular group of customers, or it can also fall off as we saw in some of the, the recent uh, issues with Delta. So a couple of things you said <clears throat> that I want to uh, just double click on and, and one call out what I call gems on when we're talking with guests on the show is often you can kind of roll past something and I'm like, whoa, wait a minute, that was a gem right there. We need to make sure people heard that. I don't want to, we talk a lot about the, well, customer experience, you know, often a Gartner has said it's about not what happened, but the perceptions of what customers think happen. And to your point about emotions, and that, that applies, is your point, is that applies to loyalty programs as well. Um, I think I think sometimes companies get their saliva flowing right when they say, "Oh, loyalty program." I can I can manage customers in a way that they'll be loyal to us if we if we set up this program. And what you're saying is, mm, number one, you need to be strategic about it when you when you think about how it's designed, right? Absolutely, because loyalty can be confused for trapped, mm. right? COVID, I'm trapped at home. I use Amazon. I start using Amazon more and more. Amazon thinks I'm loyal. I'm trapped. Mm. Right? So there's a lot of nuances for loyalty. And, and we talked earlier about credit card programs. Some retailers call a, their credit card program a loyalty program. Why? I don't know. Right? They think that if you use their credit card more often, you're more loyal and it may really be just uh, they're getting a discount. So, you know, every act of marketing and sales, right, should drive revenue. The whole purpose of a loyalty program is to drive repurchase. And people forget that, right? Because you can be really, really loyal. And again, I'm loyal to a couple of fabulous retailers that I used all the time when I was in the Bay Area. Now that I've moved out into the sticks here, they're not here anymore. And true, I could use them online, but that wasn't the relationship I had with them. I had a relationship with a personal buyer. So what they thought was loyalty was a relationship I had with a personal buyer, right? right. So you have to really be careful about that. Um, you can't tie things to discounting and coupons, right? Whole different program right? Your customer's expectations are different when you're actually throwing discounts and coupons at them. And they may indeed find that uh, if they get trapped into that. And that's a death spiral. You know, as you well know, couponing can be really dangerous for uh, the revenue and profit margin of a company. Uh, and a loyalty program should actually act as the opposite of that, that if you raise your prices, I stay loyal as compared to being tied to discounting, right? Yeah. So that that is really it's one of the key things here in managing loyalty. You don't want to marginalize that product or service value, right? You want the program to be actually additive instead of uh, uh, subtractive, right? I don't think subtractive is the word, but it works. Right. No, right? it's it's funny. It's <laughs> funny you mentioned um, extracting value. 
uh, if it doesn't if it doesn't go the way it's supposed to, uh, one of the companies and I didn't put I didn't put it on the front page for a reason that one its category was Bed Bath and Beyond. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you talk about maybe a discounting program program disguises oh, a loyalty my. program. <laughs> Those twenty percent coupons. Right. Uh, I guarantee you, uh, people probably have curated twenty different emails so that they could sign up and get twenty percent off. <laughs> well, yeah, just to double double click on your point is is um, you know in the textbook we use for the class, it talks about not thinking about a discounting or a promotional program as as a loyalty program. They serve two different functions and the, and the, the, the sales or promotions that have to do with discounting and coupons, et cetera, are more transactional in nature and temporary, right? Yeah, exactly. And if you look at, again, places like Macy's and others that do those lost leaders, Bed Bath & Beyond, huge lost leaders, what happens if you actually look at the data is that you're cannibalizing a lot of yeah. good customers because they come in buy that particular element, and then they leave, right? So right. you have to be both proactive and reactive as you're going through, is that ideally the rewards for loyalty would be something, for example, if you were a retailer, is being able to interact with the buyers and say, this is what I'd really like for the fall season or whatever. Nordstrom's did a really good job of that, right? They they gave incentives of becoming more engaged as part of the loyalty program as compared to making them coupon and discount, right? So you have to keep that uh, balance, as it were, constantly as you go through your different programs and you have to keep your segments, meaning a loyalty segment as well as a behavioral segment or a value segment, all tied together and really do a lot more testing and understanding of what their needs and behaviors are as compared to the simple drop a coupon or have a call to action on social media where you get a discount, right? So uh, one, again, even companies, you know, brilliant companies like Walmart who really understand where a product would be sold or undersold in one region and really attractive in another, you have to keep all of that data flowing as well, because that doesn't necessarily tie to loyalty. And again, as we said, you can muddy up the field pretty quickly if you're not looking at these in an integrated fashion. Yeah, yeah, such a good point. And um, <clears throat> one of the things that that um, you alluded to is this idea of segmentation and really understanding and, you know, what's going to drive customer loyalty? What are the drivers of loyalty? If you've got customers that are already going to going to commit and buy, uh, and as you say, purchasing, repeat, repeat purchasing behavior, because um, your point is, you don't, the attitudes are great, but really it's the behavior that we're going after in terms of what we mean by loyalty. You know, if, if you're going to just give something to people who are already, already going to have repeat purchasing behavior, um, it's it's really not adding value. Maybe adding value to the it customer. Erodes, it's not really adding value to the company. Right. It erodes right? your profitability. It, it erodes your profitability. Interestingly enough, I did a project for the people who actually bought Bed Bath and Beyond. We did a segmentation project for Overstock, and they were really, really 
laser focused on margin. They knew who their best customers were for every line of business they had. And they didn't mistake the fact that the grandmother from Long Island who bought a lot of bedding was also a customer of books. And that grandmother reacted differently for the different product lines. So they were smart enough to keep their segments not only by value behavior, but also by needs. So how they responded to their buying books as compared to buying uh, clothing or whatever, each of them had different calls to action and they tested that all just repeatedly. And, and, and again, they didn't confuse buying behavior with loyalty behavior. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and so we're, we're, um, I love talking about this, but we're, we're going to have to land the plane on this topic. And, and I, okay. I want to bring you back for another topic, which is something that we also co cover in the course material in my course. Um, this idea of customer engagement and loyalty around the life cycle. But I want to, sure. I want to ask you, I want to throw something out there and ask your opinion of what, what you think about this. And it's really just something I'm thinking about. You know, Joe, Joe Pine wrote the experience economy. And he's got a new concept that he is he is sharing called customering, saying it's going to replace marketing. Um, and the idea there is there aren't real segments, there are only customers. And my question to you is, as it may relate to loyalty programs, are is with the as we look to the future, as we think about AI and generative AI and the possibility. There's a, there's a case study in our textbook that has to do with this company in Taiwan. It's, it's, a, it's a supermarket that has the ability to look at uh, fine-tuned data of, of customer, specific customer interactions to the point where they almost customize the loyalty program at the customer level, not even at the segment level. So my question to you is, where do you see this going? <laughs> in 1999, when I was a partner at Peppers and Rogers, one-to-one -one marketing, we could do all of that. We mm. can do that all today. It is just amazing to me that we have had the ability to do one-to-one -one marketing for all of these years, and yet we haven't. And the bottom line comes into the fact that the cost still to have different images and different calls to action and different product suites doesn't necessarily work. It doesn't work when you have a limited number of products, right? So if you're Lexus and you have 10 products, right? Doing it one-to-one -one in anything other than the service line, it again, erodes your nectar, right? So I have always been amazed that companies have not done this. And it'll be really interesting with AI, which is just like the difference between chatbots and the marketing orchestration and then journey orchestration, right? Companies only have the mindset to deal with four or five different groups of one to many. And it is a limitation uh, that I've never understood. The companies who actually do a better job of that drop five to eight percent on their bottom line within two months of doing what you suggest. And yet we don't do it. It's a mystery. It, it will be interesting to see if that changes with with the advent of what's available today. Yeah, yeah. It 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 it's it, truly the tools have been there for 20 years. Yeah. And, yeah. and yet we still uh companies are just not doing it. And I don't know 
uh, marketing has changed a lot in 2000 when the last major downturn happened and they got decimated. Uh, and then, you know, individual mo mobile and, and uh, web and all sorts of different channels started taking the lead. Um, you know, again, the opportunity was there to do it even by channel. And, and yet people didn't do it. Right. So mm. it's very interesting. And, and digital transformation is always something. Don't get me on that subject because not everybody wants to be digitally transformed. Right? right. I actually like going by the bank and handing them my checks at the end of the week that we've made money because it, it gives me an emotional lift. Right. Doing it on a mobile. I'll do it when I'm traveling, but uh, it's not the same. So as, as I said in the beginning, we are feeling creatures who, who can think. Well said. What a great, what a great way to end it, end it on. Um, great conversation around loyalty programs. Uh, you, you know, we may be thinking about it uh, or not. It's in our subconscious maybe as, as consumers, but from a company standpoint, you know, we just talked about the importance of really being thoughtful and strategic about our approach and understanding what it is and what it isn't. And I think we did a great job of delineating it. Thanks to you, Valerie. Thanks so much for being on the show. My pleasure. It's been fun. Thanks for listening to the Delighted Customers Podcast. I'd like to ask you a favor. If you have enjoyed this episode or any of my other ones, hit subscribe or follow. I've got a lot of other great guests that are coming up and a lot of other great content, and I don't want you to miss anything. You can find any links or references on the show in the show notes, and you can find those on my website at empoweredcx.com. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time.